Hey, this is WWE Hall of Famer from the Legion of Doom, Road Warrior Animal. I'm excited to announce that this week's episode, we are going to be discussing the career of none other than Ravishing Rick Rude. Tell him, Hawk! He's one half of the Road Warriors and the Legion of Doom, the most successful tag team in the world of professional wrestling. He's held the AWA, NWA, WCW, and WWF titles. He snacked on danger and dined on death. He's Road Warrior Animal, Joe Laurinaitis, and this is the What A Rush Podcast. Now, here's your host, Joe Roderick. Welcome on in to another episode of the One Rush Podcast. I am your host, Joe Roderick, joined alongside the WWE Hall of Famer. He is Road Warrior Animal Joe Laurinaitis. Joe, what's going on, man? It's been a while. Yeah, man. How you doing? I heard you had your uh, family trip down at Walt Disney World. How was that? Nope, nope. It was a. Uh, it was more work. Joe, it was more, I had to oh, go. Oh, you're lying. I, I, I know you were a, on Space Mountain. I, That's what you call yourself anyway, I by the way. I had to go. Oh, they sent me down. They made me go to West Palm Beach, Florida for f- six days. The radio station. Oh, oh that's right. You had spring Cardinal training. That's spring right. Yeah. Training. It's such, it was so difficult. I bet you. It was 80 down degrees there. down there in West Palm. I know. Go and spend a day down at Juno Beach and Singer Island and talk to, you know, talk to professional baseball players, play around round of golf at PGA National. It's it's the you know what somebody has to do it and I volunteered. Yeah, you gave yourself a foot wedge, I'm sure too, playing that golf course. No, you know what I actually the old ball I played on the legit. sock trick. You, hey, what's that over there? You kicked the ball out of your sock that you know went in the water. I played pretty much as as legit as I as I can out on the course, but I was awful. I I you know and I'm not even gonna say like. Would you have hundred hundred what? Oh God, one twenty four. Oh, that's. That was a bad round, though. I, for, for me, with like, all the water in Florida, it wasn't even the water at this course. We played PGA National. We played the Palmer course at PGA National, and the radio station got us on the uh, got us on there. And the uh, the folks there were kind enough to give us clubs for the day too, because I didn't didn't know I was going to need clubs going down there. I didn't expect to play golf when I was down there. So they they set us up with clubs, which were a hell of a lot nicer than the clubs I play with, and. It just the they sand. They weren't pink, were the they? The sand. Oh my God! There was so much sand. Were they pink clubs? Lady, no, no, they clubs? were they were okay. Titleist clubs. They were they were legit Titleist clubs. I mean, the driver that they gave us out of there had to be a couple hundred dollars. That uh, that we were you know, using. How could you miss the ball with the new drivers that are out now? They're like swinging a basketball. I know this one was heavy though, compared to the one I used. But still, I I was awful. I hit about hey, four houses. At least you got down to go out there. And play, man. There was one. I hit a house. And I drive up to it, and I saw the ball. Like I saw, I you could hear it hit the house, and I saw it came back like towards the rough. I'm driving up, and the guy, I have a guy in the cart with me, and I go, "Hey, found my ball!" And I pull up, and I see the two people sitting in their little sunroom there. And then you're sitting there like, "Oh shit, how do I? <laughs> what do you say?" That like, "Oh well, wait, you, that's not mine." You say what a thousand people <laughs> said to him before. Sorry about that. Right? Yeah, you know where you're living. You you know yeah. where you where you live. You know where you bought the uh, you, where you bought. You the know, the last time I played in Florida, I got a nice alligator bag out of my round of golf. So I won't tell you how I got it, but there were, there were some big ass gators. Oh yeah, out yeah, there there's too. Gators on every course there. Yeah, right? they. Uh, but yeah, we we played there. You'll like this too. Flying back, 
we uh, actually got uh, almost missed my connecting flight because of President Trump. <clears throat> yeah, we flew out of Palm Beach International, and when we were set to fly out around like four ten or so in the in the afternoon, we got there. And they kept telling us, you're going to be okay, you're going to be okay, because we knew he was coming down there, he was uh, going to visit Parkland, yeah. but he was also, I guess Marlago is about a mile away sure. from Palm Beach, and they're telling us, we're going to be okay, we're going to be okay, we're going to be okay. We start taxiing out, pulling away from the gate, plane comes to a complete stop. If Air Force One is on the ground, no planes are allowed to move at the airport, so we had to, uh, we had to sit there and for about 40 minutes or so. And got to the Charlotte airport, landed at the Charlotte airport, and had eight minutes to run from the plane to the next gate to get on there. And we were uh, the... Uh, that's always fun to do. Yeah. I've never come close to missing a flight. That's so that that was a little stressful. Yeah, it was just stressful. So I, I slept at many airports on the floor, believe me. Yeah. And it just so worked out. Like, I'm sitting there thinking, I'm like, God, if I miss the flight, you know, who am I going to, you know, what am I going to do in Charlotte? Do I know anyone in Charlotte? And I think it was actually the night that you were... You were actually there too. Yeah. So Charlotte's actually a not a bad world. city to be stuck in. To be honest with you, it's it's got great food and, and it's very a very entertaining city. It's a big college town too. So we've it's been a few weeks since we've last done the show, and it's weird. It's weird for me coming from the world where I do did radio every single day to the you know in Minneapolis we recorded a few episodes of the podcast, and we haven't been together in three four weeks. Since uh, since then, so it's weird for me to do take that uh, much of a break. So we really haven't had a chance to uh, talk much about uh, Minneapolis, talk about your appearance on Radio Row and the uh, the stuff that went on that week because you killed it. You you absolutely killed it on Radio Row. Uh, I the one thing you know on Tuesday I I had you go make the rounds around Radio Row. And we walked into there, and I was like, Joe, I got you booked for about 20 interviews, and I thought you were going to kill me. I thought you were going to rip you my know, head off, I, and we ended up doing 25 interviews, and you didn't mind it one bit. No, no. I, I, you know, I guess uh, in, you know, I know you were so busy going to different venues and different things. You were checking out a lot of things, yeah. right? I think it was even closer to 30, 32. Cause I did some stuff there with the local TVs that came by when you were gone and stuff. You know, listen, man, the, the Super Bowl was incredible. Minneapolis did a great job being the host. Um, the Radio Row thing, as you said before, was kind of a little congested, but there's a lot of great athletes there. You know, we saw Ross Tucker and a lot of the other guys there and a lot of, you know, a lot of the snowboarders that just won the medal in the Olympics and a lot of former Olympians too. So it was really cool, man. Hey, listen, it's always great to get back. I got to do some interviews with my local uh, – you know, being a local Philly boy. You Tony Bruno. Yeah, Tony Bruno was great, man. He, he and his co-hosts were phenomenal. Um, they, they were, it's good to talk and, and see Philadelphia win. I mean, mm -hmm. the last time was, like, I think the year I was born that even they made it to a championship, you know. So it, it was good to see. Yeah, so you uh, – yeah, people were coming up to me the remainder of the week saying that, uh, how, that the, how great the interview was, and it was good to get it done on Tuesday because – if you would have seen what that place looked like Thursday and Friday, you you would have. Oh, uh, but you you can it. see it building though. You yeah, can see it. I mean, we can see it. The traffic starting to build mm -hmm. up, and it was getting just crazy around there. And yeah. that Mall of America, what a great place that is, right? You got four floors of unstoppable shopping mm -hmm. if you want to shop. But then they had everything all blocked up. I thought it was pretty cool the night of the of the party, Joe, that you guys went to with the the whole entertainment area, like all the rides and stuff were shut down just for. 
yeah. the NFL people, which was great. Yeah. The radio people, man, I thought it was pretty cool. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was pretty neat there. So since uh, so you you came so what you came from Michigan to meet me in Minneapolis, and then you went home, and then for so since then, what you've been to Astronomicon in yeah. Detroit. You Astronomicon were there a, was great, man. I was there with Kevin Nash and Scott Hall and uh, Eric Bischoff and Bruce Pritchard, Pritchard Brother Love. You know, the Godfather and uh, Booker T. We were all there together in the same row, uh, along with some of the other actors, you know, Jason Voorhees and, you know, all the Friday the 13th mm-hmm. stuff and all those guys, too, the Walking Dead people. It was a really great event, man. It was a first-time event that the guys put on. A lot of those guys were associated with the insane clown posse guys and the old nice. ICW things, you know. So it was, it was, it was pretty cool. And then, so, so where else have you been since? I know, so we said you were in Charlotte. You did uh, did the hit in Charlotte. Yeah, um, I, I did the Mad Monster Party in Charlotte. Okay. Which was another great event, man. It was totally packed. I did it with a good friend of mine, Tony Hunter. And uh, it was nonstop taking pictures and signing autographs, letting the fans put on the spike pads for for the autograph. It was, it was pretty cool. And uh, this weekend, we uh, well, uh, for those that are listening to it, the day or two after it comes out, you're going to be in uh, West Virginia this week. Or is it uh, Waynesboro, Virginia? The Waynesboro, awesome, Virginia. Yeah, awesome yep. wrestling entertainment. Yeah, man, it's, it's, it's called the Night of the Horsemen. The four horsemen are going to be there as well as myself. I think uh, uh, I was talking to my buddy Corey. I think Nikita Koloff's going to be there and a lot of other great stars. The Rock and Roll Express for sure. I already talked to Ricky Morton. He's going to be there. It's great, man. I love going to the state of Virginia. You know, to me, it's, you know, being, being a kid when I was younger, you know, I went down to the children's hospital to get blood tests for about a year every week when I was a young kid, you know, doing some, um, trying to figure out what the heck was wrong with me because I was cramping all the time. And I, I get to visit the kids in the cancer ward, man. And I tell you what, man, talk about a reality check on life and what's really important in life. You go and visit some of those sick babies in the hospital, man, you'll realize that, there's not an amount of money in the world or any sort of fame that is more rewarding to see a smile on a little kid's face that's going through a cancer treatment. You know? Yeah, so you have, a, uh, you have a busy next few weeks coming up. Uh, Scottsdale, Arizona in March 3rd. You're going to be doing something with the Phoenix Coyotes yeah, over there. Yeah, hockey thing, yep. maybe, maybe possibly dropping the puck. I hope they don't have me try to shoot the puck in the net. You know, and it's, uh, it's funny you mentioned that uh, about, the, about the skating because um, also when I was in Minneapolis after you had left, I, I, I had Chris Nowinski on, uh, did an interview with him. That's up on the STL podcast website. I uh, had a chance to talk with him. I think um, we're gonna, we'll catch up with him. We'll have you on uh, next time we catch up with him and have him on this podcast. And then also uh, talk to James. One day, oh, had yeah, James right. come did. over and uh, talk to him for about twenty minutes. So one day you left, and then James showed up. So yeah, Lauren, uh, Lauren Nitus was on Radio Row all week long. We we tried to hook up that night when he got in, but he was uh, he was all over at the Minneapolis Convention Center and the Mall of America. Is so far away from that, and we just didn't. I'm supposed. Uh, he told me uh, he gave me tips of how to uh, how to deal with you uh, since he's mm. been doing it for you know for 30 years of his uh, his life. He did ask me to. Uh, he wanted me to ask you what it was like the first time you put on skates and coached his hockey team. I'm supposed to ask a question about uh, about that. Yeah, I, I tell you what. Let me tell you. Back in the day, <laughs> right when Ry- Rydell came out with these skates called Switchets, where you can slide the blade off and put a rollerblade thing on the bottom, right? So here we are, and they're about 450 bucks back then, which is expensive today. But I'm thinking I'll buy the most expensive skates. It's going to make me – I'll be skating like Wayne Gretzky in two, two strides, right? So I put these skates on. 
I walk down. Now it's outdoor skating in Minnesota. There's like a million outdoor rinks, right? So it's warm enough. I go out there with the kids, and I see them on the ice, right? And I'm watching my daughter, Jessica, push her lean on the hockey stick at three years old. She's skating. James just takes off skating like a bandit. And my son, Joe, skating like crazy. So I put on these skates, and I go out there and skate. And as soon as my foot hit the ice, bam! I was like, I could read, see it was the laces coming up, my head hitting the ground. I, I jumped up so fast. I said, I hope nobody saw me fall, right? I got up. I turned right back around. Walked up the wood planks back into the warming house, took the skates off, and I traded them in. And boy, each one of my kids new pair of skates. <laughs> that was the end of my skating for a couple of years until until I went privately on my own and learned how to skate a little bit. But if you can imagine, Joe, at that time James was a might one or two, seeing the eyes of those little kids when I'm come at them at 320 pounds on skates. I had to look like McGill Gorilla coming at him, right? Because I'm going balls out, and I'm going, and their little eyes are going, is he going to stop? Is he going to stop? Is he gonna... I had to avoid him and actually hit the boards to stop because I didn't know how to stop. I was, I was, you know, I wasn't a swish, you know, skater, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was, uh, it was a lot of fun having him on, uh, getting some tips on how to work with, uh, work with his dad. And then uh, also, too, I was I was at one of the it was called the Leather and Lace Party. Uh, Flow Rider ended up doing the uh, performing at it. It was put on at Donnie Wahlberg. So I think, explain was the host what, of it. what exactly was the Leather and Lace I, Party honestly, about, Joe? Just, just by the name of it, I'm just kind of throwing it out there, asking a question. Right. It sounds like it's something that's going to be really kinky, but it's really just a regular party. There's nothing like there's nobody there wearing any leather or lace. It, there's nothing. But what's the point of that? I don't know. But it's hosted by Jenny McCarthy and Donnie Wahlberg, who apparently are married. I had no idea that those two were married. Oh, Jenny McCarthy. I'm sure she's she wore some blue leather. Hair. She had blue hair. Leather and lace at her time. She looked like the blue meanie. Did she really? Yes. But anyway, so I don't, I'm looking. I don't, don't see her in a blue meanie looking like <laughs> twins at all, bro. Come on. <laughs> so I see the red carpet, and all of a sudden, everybody's like, oh, it's the Gronkowskis. It's Gronkowskis. So it's, you know, the dad and the three crazy brothers to rob. And then there's a guy that's walking up wearing a pink Zubaz suit. There's Mojo Raleigh, <laughs> who is really good friends with the Gronkowski family. Nobody on, nobody on the red carpet has a clue who Mojo Raleigh is. They just want to talk with the Gronks. So I go over there, and I, I get Mojo's attention, and I call him over. And I ended up talking to him for a bit and told him that, you know, we do this together, uh, the show together, and he thought it was so cool. And I, I was like, like right. I like the Gronkowski on the show. That would be awesome. Oh, God. You know what? If he retires, he might uh, end up joining the You know, uh, I'm WWE. telling you, they, they asked me, one of the guys uh, from the New England station asked me about Gronkowski getting into the WWE. And I said, you know, I said, as nutty as he is, and one thing you, you cannot teach is charisma. The guy's got natural charisma. People just are drawn to that guy. And if he would learn how to wrestle, I mean, look what he did in football. Yeah. If he could learn to take that same dedication in the wrestling business. Yeah. I said he could probably be a top superstar. Yeah, but uh, Mojo, I just said something. You know, Mojo, I'm like, we'll have to get you on one day. I go, what's your, uh, go give me a memory from them. And he just, he just said, growing up watching you guys, he said you guys were the biggest ass kickers in the history of ass kicking. That was, <laughs> that's what Mojo had to say in his pink Zubaz suit. That's awesome, man. Yeah. I love it. I you love ever it. wear a Zubaz suit? 
Uh, no, I haven't, but I've, you know, I've wore Zubas for like 25 years. So Let's get you yeah. a suit. We have to figure out a way to get you a suit. And because maybe, maybe we can get you at the, uh, Maybe we'll talk you into going to the Hall of Fame, WWE Hall of Fame this year, because a buddy of yours uh, just announced that a uh, buddy of yours is going in. Who's that? Double J. Yeah, Jeff Jarrett's going in there. Well, you know, listen, all those guys that are going in. I was going to say in, Goldberg's in there, another yeah, friend of yours. Bill the Goldberg, Dudleys, the are, Dudleys going are going in. I talked to you know, Bully Ray or Bubba about two months ago. We talked and did, I did a show with him. Yeah, Listen, a lot of great guys, man. Anybody that makes the Hall of Fame is uh, well worth it. Except for some of the celebrities that go in. But, you know, all the wrestlers that go in is, is fine. You got an issue with the celebrity wing, huh? Well, yeah. I mean, what, what does Snoop Dogg have to do with wrestling at all? I'm, I'm setting you up here because I was waiting for you to bash the celebrity wing, even though Trump's in the celebrity wing. Well, in the Hall of Fame. listen, uh-huh. you, you got you to you you compliment the president as my fellow Hall of Famer right there. You know, so you see how I changed sides yeah, uh-huh. real quick there? You're flip flopping a little I bit. I just there. jumped ship right there, real quick. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, man. But listen, yeah, all the guys have made a great mark in in pro wrestling, and, and the girls. Uh, who's the girl going in? Ivory. Uh, Ivory. Yeah. Now Ivory was a one of the original bad apple girls in wrestling. Man, she was a pretty tough chick. I mean, she would literally beat the crap out of some people. So. Yeah. So uh, yeah, that's going on. And next week on the show, we got to figure out what your schedule is down in New Orleans, and we'll let the folks know next week. On the uh, on the podcast, what uh, what they can expect because I imagine a lot of people listening here are going to be going down to New Orleans. I know I just booked all my uh, all my trip to uh, to head down there for the week. Looking forward to heading to uh, WrestleCon and what I want to see at WrestleCon. I want to see people coming up to you. I'll be I'll be hanging out at the table with you, but I want to see people wearing our brand new What a Rush podcast yeah, shirts that Actually, are available right now at ProWrestlingTees.com. I think they came out awesome, man. I, they they're actually so sending cool. me a box of them. I cannot wait to put my shirts on and wear them and start promoting this stuff. It's a great-looking T-shirt. Like Joe said, you get it at ProWrestlingTees.com. They have two of them. Go, they on, have go the on to our page. There's two different shirts there. And you can go on there, and it, they're actually really cool-looking T-shirts. Yeah, it's uh, so go on there. Only twenty bucks uh, to buy the uh, to buy the T-shirt. As a matter of fact, there's some fans already sent me pics that I showed I've, you. They I've already had, got this T-shirt yeah, on. I've had friends text me that they are uh, that they've purchased them as well. So uh, can't wait to see somebody WrestleMania weekend down New Orleans wearing a uh, wearing a T-shirt for a podcast that I do. I can't wait for that. Yeah, so, it'll, it'll, it'll be awesome. I'm going to yeah. go down the approaching tees next week. Maybe I'll grab a box of them. Yeah, we uh, so hey, uh, let's take a short break. Coming up on the other side, this week's episode, all about your old friend Rick Rude, right here on the Water Rush Podcast. Hey, Joe, a few weeks ago when we were up in Minneapolis, we did a show from Ken Anderson's Academy, the Academy Pro Wrestling.com, and you saw the uh, place, the ins and outs of, uh, of the wrestling school that Ken and Sean Devari are putting on up there. You know, Joe, as I go around the country and I see a lot of these wrestling academies or wrestling schools, you know, it was great to see one that has the old school values where you have the ring set up and it's not all about them. It's about teaching the guys and the girls the proper etiquette you need to have and learning the lineage of pro wrestling, man. It was great to see, you know, they not only have a place where you go learn how to take bumps, how to hit the ropes, you know, how to do interviews. It's a great way to learn from a guy who was a world champion, which Ken Anderson was. It actually was pretty comical, though, Joe, watching you hit the ropes. And that was pretty funny. 
First time ever doing that, and it won't be the last time. I got the bug now. I need to, uh, next I'll take a press slam from you and I, see I, what I the. I called uh, him a Gumby and he got mad I'll, at me. I'll see what the, all that hype's about, getting uh, getting a press slam from a Road Warrior Animal. But hey, but, but, you it, could, is, but it really was a nice place, man, the Academy. Yeah, and you can use your name, hashtag Road Warrior Animal, if you are looking to get into the business of professional wrestling. That's good for $500 off your entry fee to Ken Anderson and Sean Devari's wrestling school. Theacademyprowrestling.com is where you go. Hashtag Road Warrior Animal to get $500 off. Also, you can go online to gruntstyle.com. They have the patriotic apparel that Ken Anderson is selling. 10% off if you use the promo code Anderson10 for uh, for your shirts and your apparel as well. So that's what you got to remember. Hashtag Road Warrior Animal at theacademyprowrestling.com. That gets you $500 off. Or if you're looking for any of the apparel that Ken Anderson's selling at gruntstyle.com, use Anderson10 for 10% off online. How would you like to be a part of the What A Rush podcast? Sponsorship opportunities now available and more affordable than you would imagine. Wrestling podcasts are the hottest thing going in the podcast world right now. Some are being listened to by hundreds of thousands of wrestling fans just like yourself. If you would like to get in on the ground floor of the What A Rush podcast hosted by Road Warrior Animal, please contact me, Joe Roderick, at roadwarriorpodcast at gmail.com. Have a WWE Hall of Famer promote your product to other loyal wrestling fans and see what these guys can do for you. And this week's episode is all about ravishing Rick Rude. Joe, a guy that you've known uh, pretty much uh, almost his entire life uh, when he was a uh, when he was around. You know the ravishing one, man. I tell you what, you, Rick Rude is one of those guys that I had. You know, it was one of the infamous Robbinsdale High School guys, along with uh, you know Barry Darso and um, Nord the Berserker and Nikita Koloff and Mister Perfect Kurt Henning. You know, they all went to the same high school. You know, same high school that uh, Larry the Axe Henning went to and. Vern Gagne went to, so it's a, it's an infamous high school man. But Rick Rude, his dad his dad uh, was name was Dick Rude, and he uh, he owned a bar called Dick's Bar in Minneapolis. So Rick Rude didn't grow up with the like easiest uh, you know lifestyle in the world. You know, he grew up uh, basically like we all did, man. A school of hard knocks, you know. Born, uh, born to uh, Richard Clyde Rude and Sally Jean Thompson uh, back on December seventh. 1958 in St. Peter, Minnesota. As you mentioned, attended Robbinsdale High School with Tom Zink, Brady Boone, Nikita Koloff. Yeah, I forgot about Zink and Boone. John Nord and Barry Darso all uh, would later become professional wrestlers. uh, That's, uh, you know, we talked about it quite a few times up in Minneapolis last week, just the, the lineage of wrestlers that have come through. Not only that, the Hall of Famers that have, that have come through and you see that from time to time. You see just, it seems like a lot of wrestlers will just pop. Like, we were talking, we've talked Texas before. The amount of wrestlers that have come from, like, the Texas area and just, like, certain areas. Which is really surprising, uh, the state of Texas, right? I mean, come on. There's no, no, no talents or anything coming from that state, right? Not usually, but re- wrestling, I guess all the people in Texas must have been hit in the head yeah. by hailstorms or something yeah. down there. Yeah, your you wife's know, sitting yeah, next to you, yeah. and she's about to give you another <laughs> concussion. Oh, no, uh, but the state of yeah, 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 Florida. Florida, Texas, and Minnesota, you know, put out some real yeah. good Hall of Famers, you know, in, in this wrestling business. 
Yeah. Um, so he what? So he was born in '58. So he was what? Two years older than uh, than you were, Joe. Rick? Yeah, Rick. Two years older. Yeah, two years yeah. older than yeah, you Yeah, he were. and Nikita so, and, and Henning were all the same grade. So when did you first uh, When did you first meet Rick Rude? I met Rick Rude the first time at the gym in uh, in St. Louis Park, Minnesota, off of uh, the old Highway 12. And uh, you What just, year would this have been? Or how old were oh, you guys Oh, man, I was probably, this is probably, you're talking back 19, gosh, man, 1980, probably. And uh, before before wrestling, because right. we all kind of knew each other, all the guys that bounced back then all kind of knew who each other were by reputation. Mm-hmm. And uh, Rick Rude had that reputation. You know, he was an arm breaker. I mean, he was a you know professional arm wrestler. He was a professional arm wrestling champion. Just rain. And uh, you know, so Rick Rick Rude was uh, known for that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And besides that, being a tough guy, he was one of the Robinsdale tough guys that always got in fights and was doing this and that. You know, and didn't play much sports. And uh, you know, that's how Rick got his reputation by being a tough guy. So, what was it about Robinsdale uh, where that all these guys came from there? But for you, uh, I mean, being you know the the lone guy out of Irondale. You know, I don't know what it was, man. One day, I I, I met those guys. I was at you know. Minnesota had a professional soccer team at one time called the Minnesota Kicks. And uh, they used to play outdoors. Joe, right by where we, where we were, was the outdoor stadium there where the Mall of America sits right now in Minnesota. And uh, we would go out there, and I think I must have been to 15, 20 soccer games, but I never made it into one game. Because we'd all sit out in the park a lot. We all walked around with a killer, a cooler of Miller or Budweiser, and we cooked grilled steaks and and everything else and that's how i met the robinsdale guys there was only two guys in my high school that worked out but robinsdale all those guys were huge from about ninth grade on the junior high coach was a great lifter uh, his name was jerry mcfarland and he taught those guys how to eat properly and diet properly and whatever whatever to get as big as they were because they were bigger than most average high school guys and as one day the robinsdale guys came on over and they said hey man you're a big son of a gun and I said, well, you know, we're the only guys that lift weights in my high school. I said, here, you want a piece of steak? I literally took the steak off the grill, ripped it in half with my hands, and gave it to them. And from then on, we all became friends. They probably thought, well, this guy's not right. He's not even cutting the steak. He just tore it apart with his hands, gave it to me. And those guys said, thank you. And they were drunk, and they ate it. So it all worked out. So from there, does it, I mean, does the relationship from there go into the gym? Does it go into bouncing? Does it both? Or uh, So how does... I mean, from, from the parking lot, where does where does the relationship go next? Well, they, I asked them, I said, man, where do you guys work out, right? And so they said, we work out at this new place called The Gym. And I said, all right, we, so we went and tried out The Gym. That's where we all kind of started congregating. Mm-hmm. And then Rick Rude and I. So it's you, so it's you Rick, who else is in this group? It's myself, it's myself and Rick Rude. And uh, the other, only other guy I really knew there at one time, well, I knew a couple of the guys, Barry Darso and uh, Nikita Koloff. Right. And I knew Kurt Henning. I knew of Kurt Henning. I didn't know him real well because, listen, man, you know, he already had the Henning name and Larry the Axe right. was still strong in wrestling and everything else. So, and uh, so we, here we are at the gym working out. And, and uh, Root said, hey, man, there's a job opening here at this place called George's and Fridley. It was a Greek restaurant that had a side bar to it. And he goes, I need another bouncer, man, because when the. When the, the guys get off across the street, there's like three or four factories at 11 o'clock. I'm the only guy on with about 500 people in the bar. I said, yeah, sure, I'll come work with you. So Rick Rude and I, for about a year and a half there, worked at that George's and Fridley together. We're the only two bouncers there. 
What, uh, so what's, give me a first memory of, uh, of you seeing Rick, I guess, toss a guy out or have to break up a fight where you're thinking, God, this is, this is one badass, you know. <laughs> well, Rick, Rick wasn't the biggest guy in the world. I, and I say that because, you know, you got, I'm, I'm comparing him to the rest of the guys right. there. You know, Hawk and I, you know, 270 and 300 pounds and Darso 340. And at the time, the guys like, we're all powerlifting. Rick... Has a, was a smaller, ripped-up stature, you know, maybe about 215, 220 pounds, but he could hit like a mule. And that his reputation preceded him because guys like Hawk and Rude and stuff, all um, Papa Joe Daskowitz, who had a bo- you know, the boxing club, real famous boxing trainer, they, they used to box for that guy down in Minneapolis. So Rick... His dad was a boxer. Rick was a boxer. So Rick had that reputation in high school of just being a fighter. Mm-hmm. So we, the people in Minneapolis pretty much knew our names at the bar where we came into. So there really wasn't a lot of trouble. Believe me, there were one or two instances where we had to break up some fights. But as soon as Rick, Rick had hands like a vice grip. As soon as he got his hands on you, because he had one of those tension squeezers that all he did was sitting on a stool, squeeze that squeezer. Once he got his hands on you, it was all over because something was going to break. And that's, you know, one of the things that Rick Rude was known for in his career was, was that physique, was the six-pack, was, you know, he was, as you mentioned, you know, he was, he was a skinnier guy than, than you, than Hawk, than... Looked like Tom Selleck Labs. So was that always when you first met him, when you first met him in his early 20s, is that... Was that what he looked like then, or is that something that yeah. came about after he got into the you know, he had, uh he, he was just ripped up, had abs, he was veiny all over the place, you know. He had decent-sized arms on him, and he just had that grip, you know. And uh, you know, you'd feel that grip sometimes if you ever had to kick guys out together. You know, you may grab your arm by mistake, and you'd feel him, and you'd say, hey, hold, loosen it up a little bit, you know. Yeah, uh, we'll get to that uh, that grip later. But Rude uh, graduated Anoka Ramsey Community College with a degree in physical education, probably uh, has a lot to do with uh, the way he looked and the way he, um, you know, kind of the the career he decided to go into because... Well, I think a lot of that, too, Joe, it has to do with, uh, you know, his dad was the guy that worked out in box, too. So I think he grew up in that family and that atmosphere of working out. And a lot of that stuff when you're real ripped up like that at a young age is genetics, and he just had that body that was just shredded. And keep in mind now, Joe, at that particular time, Rick Rude was all, also a Chippendales guy. Really? He was a Chippendales dancer at one time. So that's where those hip movements came from that you see him use on WWF. All came from him being a dancer as well. So, you know, from, so he was married at like the age of like 17. He had a, well, I'm had sure a marriage. Well, I'm sure it was probably a shotgun wedding. I was going to sure. say, he got married in 76. So he would have only been 19 at the time when he got married um, yeah, back when I was a sophomore in high school. <laughs> and then that, that only lasted six years, divorced in, in 82, before he married his uh, wife for the next, you know, till, till his death, Michelle, there. So, you know, it's, I, I don't think I've ever heard the, so where, where were their Chippendale dancers up in Minneapolis? Oh, bro, when it gets cold there, people don't go out anywhere except to the bar. And so, <laughs> you know, Rick, Rick, listen, Rick Rude had a reputation uh, around the city there, you know, he was definitely a, a, a ladies guy. You know what I mean? And, uh, and you know, listen, he was a, I'm not going to say this. I don't want to sound weird saying it. I mean, he was an attractive guy. I mean, you know, back then, he, 
You know, he looked like I said, he looked like Tom Selleck with a six pack. You know, he had the, he had the Tom Selleck stash on him and everything else, and and uh, and he and you know, a lot of people don't know about Rude. Rude was a funny son of a gun too, man. He can just crack some one liners and just make you laugh and. And uh, he he liked to dabble in a few things that uh, we were talking about that uh, you know, you know Papa Shango and my partner Hawk liked to dabble in right. that just kept their moods in a great mood and great in a great light. And, you know he's, he's just a funny human being. So Eddie Sharkey, did he come to you guys at the same time? Did he come to one before the other to uh, get you guys into wrestling? Well, here we are. You got a picture of the site now. We're we're at the infamous Grandma Bees that has been in my book and has been all over the place. And uh, the video, you know, Life and Times of the Road Warriors and all that. You know, we, we're in Grandma B's, and Ed Sharkey's the bartender. And he goes up to Rude and Hawk first and says, Hey, listen, I'm thinking about doing a wrestling camp. You guys want to go to the wrestling camp? And so, you know, you got to understand, those guys may be working one week, and the next week I may be working, you know. So we were missing each other until finally Rude and Hawk came up to me and said, Hey, Sharky's going to do a wrestling camp. You want to do it? I'm sitting there myself going, I don't know, man. You know, because in our bar, we saw, you know, Jim Brunzel and Greg Gagne come into our bar at one time. We seen a lot of guys that worked for the AWA come in there. There was a band that called, called Fragile is the name of the band that played, where Hulk Hogan, when he was in town, he even came into the club and would play bass guitar because Hogan was a pretty decent bass guitarist, right? So... A lot of guys came in, and we would see those guys, and we would keep the stage clear from people trying to get up on the stage, you know, when Hogan was playing and stuff like that. So we're saying, you know, I don't know. And then finally we all agreed. I said, okay, we're going to go through wrestling camp. And at the time, it was Rick Rude, the Hawk, uh, myself, and Barry Darso that was going to go through camp. So uh, we saw, uh, you saw, and people that uh, found the video online saw what it looked like when I first got into a ring and uh, took back bumps in a ring. Um, and you, you tell the story that you just picked it up naturally and you weren't, uh, you weren't awkward at all when you first, that's, that's your side of the story with that. No cameras, no cell phones around to videotape any of that back in 82. I'll so, go to my grave saying that, Joe. <laughs> so what was Rick Rude like when he first well, stepped listen. into the ring? Of course, you know, all of us before had boxed a little bit, so we were kind of used to the ropes because there were, it was a boxing ring. It wasn't really a setup for wrestling. It was a boxing ring. So um, we were kind of used to the ropes. And, you know, Joe, one time, you know, I, I had taken competitive diving when I was younger, so as far as flipping through the air and landing on my back and everything, that all came pretty natural to us, you know, and, and and listen, it, wait, you took diving like off a high dive? Oh, yeah, yeah, sure, really. Yeah, I used to do gainers and flips, two and a half, so all that stuff. Yeah, when how old were you when you did I this? was 13, 13 or 14 when I dove. Yeah, I was, it was at a place in uh, Happer Horse in Pennsylvania, and I was a diver, believe it or not. I had a diving body, I even got pictures to prove it until I got into high school and I started lifting weights, and there went the diving career. <laughs> All right, Road me, Warrior me, Animal me. used to be a prof- uh, used to be a diver. in my speedo in a speedo in my speedo. Okay, I got a ten before I went on the board. <laughs> but so so you, you got a picture. So when we were in wrestling camp, I mean, believe me, in the wrestling camp now, not, Ed Sharkey. The greatest thing about that is the greatest or worst thing about training with Ed Sharkey. Great thing is he had great connections. You know, he was the trainer of. 
Jesse the Body Ventura, and that was the claim to fame, and that's what kind of enticed us in there because, you know, Jesse Ventura at the time was one of the announcers with Vince McMahon for WWF. So when we heard that, we said, oh, man, well, if Jesse can make it, you know, and, you know, Jesse could barely walk and chew gum at the same time. I'm sure we could probably get in there and wrestle, you know. So we thought, we said, oh, okay, man, let's give it a try. So that's what we all three. I mean, you had a picture, Joe, driving the wrestling camp. I had a two-door Honda Civic, which the weight limit was 720 pounds. Well, you had Hawk, myself, Rick Rude, and Barry Darso in my Honda Civic. That's well over a grand. Oh, pounds. the shocks yeah. were bottomed out, and the thing was screaming going to wrestling camp. So uh, you guys all kind of get the uh, the same start, or I, I guess you guys all head down to Georgia Championship Wrestling kind of to uh, to start things out. Rude uh, has made his TV debut uh, at mid against Mid-Atlantic champion uh, Paul Jones for the NWA Worldwide Wrestling. Where would that have taken place, NWA Worldwide Wrestling? Well, the first two guys that got asked to go down there was Rick and I. Mm-hmm. Got asked to go down to, uh, to Georgia Championship Wrestling, and then he got sent to North Carolina, which was the NWA promotion with, okay. Mid- with Mid-Atlantic. And... Um, he also did some Vancouver, uh, Vancouver NWA yeah, All-Star well that, Wrestling, yeah, too. Yeah, that, that was, uh, I think that was either after. I think it was after. Mm-hmm. It might have been after. No, it was actually before. See, Rude, Rude and Hawk, I think it did, like, maybe a month of that camp before I got into it, and then Barry Darso and I went into it, so there was four guys into it, so we had a bigger, you know, more guys to wrestle with, you know, in the camp. Right. And I think they went up there for like a month, and then they came back. He, he and Hawk came back. I mean, Hawk was hideous, hard, sick hag, and then Rick Rude had his name. But when Rick Rude went to uh, Mid-Atlantic, you got a picture of this. I was down in Georgia Championship Wrestling, and they sent me to Mid-Atlantic as well to learn how to wrestle. The first match we ever had together was one of Rude's first matches of my matches. They told us to go 20-minute Broadway. Well, Rude and I looked at each other, and we said, well, what the hell's a Broadway? And, you know, we tried to guess somebody's weight here or something or what? And then we found out that a Broadway was an, you know, time limit draw. Mm-hmm. Then we found out what a Broadway was, but we did everybody's finishing move. I didn't say finisher. You hear that, wrestling fans? Not finisher. Finishing move in the match and got yelled at about 30 times by the referee saying, you can't use the figure four. It's Jack Briscoe's and Ric Flair's finish. Well, you can't put this Cobra Cut on because it's Sergeant Slaughter's finish. You can't do this because it's this guy's finish. If I looked at the referee, I says, well, what the hell can we do? I mean, it, it, but it definitely was a learning and growing experience. And that's how, uh, you know, Rick Rude laughed. He and I laughed so many times because his name was, they were calling him Rick Rudd. And uh, they were calling me Joe Lauren from Ireland back at that day. So it was kind of, you know, how do you cha- you have the name of I mean his actual name was Rick Rude yeah, R O O D was his actual name why I mean, you know we, we try I, to talk about you know bookers and wrestling guys that change stuff now that don't that doesn't make sense why in the hell would you change that name I mean that name was perfect from day one well because at the time from you the understand womb. this guy that was winning a lot of the NASCAR races back then was his name was Ricky Rudd. So they were trying to make people think maybe this is Ricky Rudd trying to do a different business or something. That's why they called him that. So, okay. So because of a NASCAR driver, they went away from a perfectly a name that was perfect to begin with in the world of wrestling of all places. That was the guy's actual name and go to something else. Yeah, but you got to understand. Jeez. 
Joe, it wasn't really world known at that time because nobody really knew what was going on in the Carolinas. There was no, they weren't on cable television. They were on local television. And, and Rick Rouge is working in a smaller mid-Atlanta company. So really nobody really knew who Rick Rude was yet. So how, how often were you guys together then? Those first, that, I guess, 82, 83. I guess that 83, your first full year. Well, here, 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 here's what happened. Uh, in, the 80, in that 82 year, Rick ended up getting hurt. He was in a, a championship match against Sergeant Slaughter. I mean, something happened with Rude where I don't know what happened, but Slaughter landed on his private area. And one of his testicles were like, it was like the size of a softball. Yeah, so Rude had to get an operation and go home. And <clears throat> he was kind of out of wrestling for a bit at that time. And then, you know, to be honest with you, Joe, uh, the Mid-Atlantic area at the time with Jim Crocker Promotions wasn't really paying very well. So I went home, too, as well. Right. You know, kind of, I was ready to quit the wrestling business altogether. And so you, so he's out most of 83, as you, uh, as you mentioned. So 84 is kind of when the ravishing Rick Rude. Yeah. Uh, when he made his, his debut. Yep. Uh, WWF debut wouldn't come for quite some time. W, he doesn't end up coming to the WWF until Who did he go with first? Was he down to the he was a, UWF? Was, no, championship wrestling in Florida down oh, in okay. 84 and then world-class championship wrestling in 85. Okay. But it was, it was down in Florida, or I guess it was Jim Crockett promotion, uh, where uh, he uh, where he feuded with you. That's uh, where he went on. They had a variety of tag team partners back in '83 and '84 when they debuted with you. I well, think yeah, the he, most he uh, was hanging up with Manny with, Fernandez uh, yep. and those a couple guys. Yeah, but it wasn't. They weren't long programs. I mean, we it wasn't like right. we were wrestling for a year and trying to get the belts. Yeah. It was just he was hot shotting it in and out for a little bit. Because, uh, you know, Rube was a better singles guy, and he knew he was a better singles wrestler. He really didn't want to be in the tag team part of it. And uh, I think he was just basically waiting his time out until he can go somewhere and just be the main single guy. Tell me who Manny Fernandez was. That's not a name that I, I can imagine we're going to uh, go over much or even see on any pay-per-views that we watch. No, you will. He was called the Raging Bull, Manny Fernandez. That was his wrestling name, and... Uh, Manny always used, if you look back, Joe, and you Google up Manny Fernandez, you'll see a guy that wrestled or that played professional football called Manny Fernandez with the Miami Dolphins. Well, not to say Manny Fernandez, but Manny Fernandez will tell you it's him, but it wasn't him. Because <laughs> you look at the pictures. Okay. Guys. Yeah. And, and listen, Manny Fernandez could wrestle. Manny Fernandez wrestled most of his time down with the UWF and, and, uh, and in Texas, too. You know, the Mid-South area, you know what I mean? So that's where Manny kind of gave us... Manny had a little bit of, let's just say, disagreements with a lot of the guys in the wrestling business. I never had an issue with Manny. Uh, when he and Rude were together, they actually weren't a bad tag team, to be quite honest with you. I forget the name they were calling them at the time. Do you know, Joe, by any chance? I'm, I'm looking up uh, stuff on, on Manny Fernandez right now on top of that. Yeah, all I'm seeing is the Raging Bull stuff. Yeah, the Raging Bull. So, but, but I mean... He, the, he formed a team with Jimmy Valiant's uh, B and B connection. Yeah, okay. Woogie, Woogie and the Bull. Yeah, well, that didn't. I don't think it drew a fart in church, but we'll see. But yeah, so yeah, but so Manny Fernandez, you know, was a uh, you know he he was a hard nosed, uh, bigger, you know, Spanish ethnicity type of guy. You know what I mean? So and, and he worked out all the time. 
But, uh, you know, he was a good partner for Rude to piggyback on because Manny had ex- the ring experience. You know, had the ring generalship there, and Rick learned a lot from that until he, uh, he needed to move on to go to WWF. Yeah, and uh, I, I guess if you look up stuff on Manny Fernandez, a, um, I, I guess a little bit of a, an issue he had with Jose Gonzalez down in yes. Puerto Rico, too. Yeah, well, who hasn't had an issue with Jose Gonzalez? I mean, that's the guy that, uh, that killed Brody, so... Uh, so uh, moving on as we, you know, so that that's who I guess he would have been in the ring once you guys made it. When you guys weren't doing 20 minute broadways anymore, when it was yeah. you and Hawk, it was uh, it would have been ravaging well, Rick Rude yeah, and back, Manny Fernandez. Yeah, back then, you know, Hawk and I were just kind of hot shot it, though. We, we would come in, work a couple matches with the NWA, go a couple matches down in Texas, do a couple matches out in Portland, go to Montreal and come back. But when we did work, uh, I think Rude and Manny had the titles back then when we worked together. So th- th- from there, you know, we're, we're talking 84 uh, around this time. That's when you guys go to the AWA, and then mm. you start doing some stuff in Japan. And you kind of stay with AWA through 86. You're there in 87. 88 is when you guys, NWA, you guys become the NWA tag champs. So throughout this time... He's mostly he's in Championship Florida wrestling. He's in, I guess, in Jim Crockett promotion. So you guys would have crossed paths again in in '86. What is it like back in? I guess communication wise. I mean, now you know we were talking before we got on the air here. We we're talking, you know, plans for New Orleans, and you're going through everybody's numbers that you have in the phone. You're talking about guys that you've talked to or texted with, and you know, conventions that you're seeing guys at. So you you know you keep in touch with all these guys. Nowadays, and I imagine a lot of wrestlers do the same. Even guys that are on the current card, you know, they can keep in touch with guys that are on Impact or in Ring of Honor, even if they're in WWE or in Japan. They all keep in touch. How did you guys keep in touch, or did you guys keep in touch back in, you know, 85, 86? Well, you know, the Minnesota guys always kind of stayed in touch. You got to remember now, when we first drove down to Atlanta, it was we drove down to my car. Rick didn't have a car. And, you know, you drove the 20 four-hour trip together, you know, all the way down there. And, uh, you know, so you, you got to get fairly, even though you knew the guy since you were in high school, you, you got to get very fairly close. And, <clears throat> you know, you, you always stayed in contact with each other, you know. And, and you, you, would, you would see guys all the time. Or, if, like, for instance, Joe, if I was going to go somewhere and I didn't see you for a long time, but if I saw somebody that was just with you the week before, he would tell me the stories, the conversations you had the week before, so you kind of – knew what was going on with the guy mm-hmm. without even really talking to the guy. And that's the way it was between a lot of the guys in the wrestling business. Yeah, so you guys, you know, you, you might have crossed paths here and there, but it, I guess 86, maybe you guys would have seen each other. Maybe you guys would have been in the same company in 86. 87 is the next time that I'm seeing that you guys would have actually been together, and that would have been the 87 Crockett Cup. Uh, but... And that's something we haven't talked much about. We haven't talked much about the Crockett Cup yet. I imagine we're going to do an entire episode, and maybe even soon, on, on the 86 Crockett Cup that you and, you and Hawk won. But in 87, in the, uh, in the Crockett Cup, if, if I remember correctly, you guys you didn't make the finals in that year. And how, I mean, how did that, the Crockett Cup, how many weeks did it take or how long was well, were, they had they had a tournament leading up to right. it, and then they had the uh, the final blow off match with the people that made it to the end of the Crockett Cup. Yeah, so he would have been in that in '87 with Manny Fernandez. 
you and Hawk obviously would have been in it. And Midnight Express, Rock and Roll Express, a yep. lot of guys were in the event. Yeah, that would have been the, uh, you guys would have made, I guess, the quarterfinals, I, I think. Is I think we had a quarterfinals against the Steiners. No, you guys lost, who, who, uh, that was, you guys lost in the quarterfinals to the Midnight Express. Hmm. Manny Fernandez and Rick Rude lost in the quarterfinals to the Superpowers, Nikita Koloff and Dusty Rhodes. We so, must have been going off in a different direction with the Midnight. That's probably why they created that. Issue. Yeah, that would have been Eaton and Lane, the uh, the Midnight Express mm-hmm. there. So if you guys, I mean, if they would have had you guys win those matches, you guys would have faced yeah. off in that. So, and that was when '87. Uh, that's when uh, Rick Rude ends up going, making his uh, debut over in WWF. Uh, so he leaves Crockett Promotions. He ends up going over to WWF as a member of the Heenan family, and that's again where things kind of continue to branch off with you guys. Yeah, well, we, we knew right away. When I saw Rick Rude go to WWF and he was with Bobby LeBrain Heenan, I knew it was only going to skyrocket after that. Bobby, one of the all-time great managers ever in the history of professional wrestling, and uh, what a great mouth, what a great mind, and he and Rick Rude together, because Rude was a great interview, too, as well. That's, and that's, you know, that's what I was going to ask. So you look at some members of the Heenan family. You mentioned... You mentioned Rick Rude. You mentioned, you know, you, you know, Ric Flair comes to mind. Guys that could talk. Guys that were great on the mic. Why did they need, a, why team up a guy like, you know, Ravishing Rick Rude with Bobby Heenan? To put it in perspective, to put it in, or to try to assimilate it with today's product, Brock Lesnar needs Paul Heyman. Yep. Brock Lesnar isn't good, on, isn't good on the mic. He needs Paul Heyman. What you know it was odd several years ago when you put Paul Heyman with CM Punk, because CM Punk could talk. You didn't need Paul Heyman with him. I guess it's a yeah. way to you know even make him even more legitimate. But Is that you, the, so why you, put you a guy would like put Rick? a Paul Heyman with a CM Punk if CM Punk was being too well liked and you okay. needed to have people not like him. That's why you have Paul Heyman be his mouthpiece because it's really easy not to like Paul Heyman. Here's this fat bald guy that. Mm-hmm people just want to hate that's telling everybody what a bad yeah. apple his client is right same with now and that's not the same with brock now brock now paul Heyman go out there and be the great mouthpiece for brock because he can get what wants to get across properly because brock wouldn't be able to get it across in the same manner or the same feeling that paul Heyman can now with bobby debray heenan yeah rick rude didn't need bobby heenan but at that time joe Managers still were able to get tremendous amount of heat in the wrestling business. Sometimes managers had more heat than the guy in the ring, and that's when they were used properly. That's why in today's business, wrestlers, managers aren't even really used anymore, hardly. And if they are, they're not really meant anything. They're just out there as kind of a visual aid yeah. more than anything else. But back then, the manager, see, he not only got involved in being Henning's manager and Rude's manager, he was doing play-by-play with Vince McMahon. So not only could he say what's going on in the match, now he's going on the mic and reinforcing and reiterating what he did and how great his client is. Isn't that getting heat and heat and heat and heat? So now you not only have that five- or ten-minute segment of the show being about your client, now you got the whole hour of Heenan's doing the play-by-play talking about his client. Yeah, that, uh, the Heenan family at that time, when Rick Rude was added to that, it would have been Andre... King Kong Bundy, Paul Orndorff, Rick Rude, Harley Race, 
Hercules, Haku, and Tama. That would have yeah, been well, the. I mean, uh, well, look at the stable. I mean, yeah. all the guys, and all of them were main event guys, mm-hmm. pretty much. Yeah. And right after that, shortly after, that's when Kurt Henning, Mr. Perfect, came on board. Yep. You know, because I knew one time, you know, Henning and Rude were in that company together, which is kind of ironic. Two Robbinsdale guys. Mm-hmm. You know, actually three at one time when you had Demolition in there, too. Would uh, I say, would Tom Zink have been in there? Uh, you know, he was, he, he was doing the Canadian thing that the Can-Am connection wasn't okay. the Can-Am yeah. connection yeah. with Rick Martel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And then he just kind of like quit out of the blue. I don't know what happened to Zink, but he's kind of quit. Yeah. So it would have been loaded with Robinsdale guys yeah. back in uh, back in 87. But back in 87, that's when you, uh, you know, that's when you're doing war games. Uh, over yeah. there. So you guys are, are the separate entities over there. But I, so you're still young in the business at this point. You're five years into the business. You know, you're but you're you're a top guy at the time. And, you know, these shows are still being put on TV. You know, wrestling on TV is starting to grow. Mm-hmm. I, I would imagine 87, 88. That's when you're you're seeing, you know, not only well, yeah, territories, one, but you're getting you're starting to get on. Yeah. Turn our broadcasting yeah. system. And then you had the USA. Network. NBC. Yeah. yeah NBC and, you is know, putting yeah. on Saturday night main events. Yeah, so you're, you're getting a lot of so different you, avenues of television. Are you watching it? I mean, are you watching it in 87? 88, are you watching the product? The WWF product? Are you watching anything? Are you watching No, nah, no, nah, we, we, we were doing? too big. We were, we were too busy yeah. to watch anything. And we weren't wrestling for the NWA. We were going and doing shots for the AWA or for, like I said, Montreal or disappearing in Japan for yeah. two weeks, right? So you were too busy. We, we really didn't watch any of the other product. The only reason we knew the wrestling business was growing so well is that if we were in cities like New York City or Philadelphia – we knew that the WWF was in the spectrum, and we were in a civic center, and both buildings had over 22,000 people and were sold out. That's when we knew, and all over the country, that was happening for years there in the business, where it was phenomenal. So when do you first hear about Rick Rude getting on the mic and calling fans fat pigs or Alabama sweat hogs? When, when do you first hear of... This is now your buddy Rick Rude's gimmick. I thought that was freaking awesome. We, Hawk and I, I, f- I forget who, who had it one time. Someone recorded it somewhere. I think it was even all, one of the, all like a VHS tape or something. He said, you got to watch this. And we would watch it and Rude calling somebody to ring and saying, I ain't going to kiss you. You're too fat. Or, and he was just doing But, you know, to us it was funny. Because that was kind of like the same kind of load of crap he would pull somebody in the bar. Okay, so that's uh, yeah. so how, how similar <laughs> is this to, to the Rick Rude that you guys knew? Ravaging Rick Rude, what you saw on TV, was the same way he was in real life. You know, it was kind of like the same way Hawk and I was. What you saw on TV was the way we were outside of the ring. Maybe a little calmer, you know. You, we weren't slamming guys through tables or nothing, but we were basically the same people. You know, that, that's probably you know, the thing in our business, what separates the guys that really get over to the guys that don't get over. It's, it's the guys that can dig in to their, to their bag of tricks and pull out that original character out and bring it to the forefront and be that guy. Instead of hiding behind it and bringing it out there. Perfect example, a guy like Brad Armstrong. People don't know that Brad Armstrong was probably one of the funniest guys I ever met in my life. But you put him in front of a microphone, and he goes, and stutters and can't talk. If he could talk, he would have probably been one of the greatest world champions of all time. 
but he couldn't talk. He couldn't sell the product. In that, uh, in that 1987 um, time frame, that was when, 87 and 88, when he was feuding with, uh, with Jake. When, what year did you guys live with Jake? Uh, I lived with Jake my first year, 83. Was Rick a part of that as well? or Rick, Rick and I first went down together, down to Georgia Champions Wrestling, and then that's what he went down and did the Mid-South thing, and then I went to crack it and then I went home. Okay, so you guys all weren't living. You guys were you living with Jake together or was, no, no, okay, no. So Rick it was just, wasn't just living Jake with Jake and I. Rick, Rick wasn't in the company at that time. Okay, because the the chemistry that those two had together was. I mean, that's oh, yeah. well. Well, listen. Let me tell you something. I, I will say something about Jake Roberts. You could be a chair, and Jake Roberts could have a great match with you. Same with a guy like Ric Flair. There was so much ring knowledge within Jake, regardless of Jake was messed up he was messed up whatever jake when he got in the ring was a businessman and a professional he could do his job for a guy like rude who was green and a greenhorn guy to get a ring like jake you knew if you if you have raw talent that guy that's a, that's a champion caliber guy will bring it out of you you uh during this time 88 you guys are in nwa 89 you're in nwa and then then wcw in 89 and then part of 90 all the way up till May, and then that's when you guys finally jump and make your debut into the WWF. And at this time, uh, around this same time, June of w, uh, June of 1990, WWF, that's when Rick Rude is he's having his feud with the Ultimate Warrior at the time. But I know in your book you had said that when you guys set foot in that WWF locker room, you're looking around, you're trying, you know, you guys know that Vince is bringing you in there to be top guys. But you look around the locker room, and one of the guys that you see right off the bat is is Rick Rude to kind of make you feel welcomed. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's always good to see a familiar face. You know, people need to understand that back then, if you go back and Google any of those matches, Rick Rude pretty much single-handedly made the Ultimate Warrior. The Ultimate Warrior was basically a nobody back then. He came from the UWF down there with, you know, Sting went to the NWA, and your Warrior went to the WWF. Rick Rude helped build the Warrior. See the Dingo Warrior? The Dingo Warrior. And, and that was one of the reasons why Rude eventually left the WWF was because there was the disagreement in uh, his pay for as much work as he was doing trying to build the Warrior. So when it, you guys, I, I guess, make the move May, June of 1990, when you guys sign on with the WWF, who do you tell? I did, does Rick know that you you guys contact Rick and say, "Hey, we're we're coming"? Uh, no. Or do you guys just walk in one day? We just show up. What's that? We didn't tell anybody. So what's that like when you when you walk into the locker room and well, you know, you see you see these guys, you know, <clears throat> some guy that you've known for the past ten years, and uh, you know all the other wrestlers that you've crossed paths with over the years. Well, most guys are happy because they know that hey, we're going to keep butts and seats and we're going to get a good payday. Because mm-hmm. you got to understand, Joe, nobody back then was on the guaranteed contracts per se. Vince would just say, we'll give you the opportunity. And so, well, if the opportunity is there, we got another guy that's going to put butts and seats for the company to make money. Everybody makes money. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's where they started developing crews. You had A crew and you had B crew. Well, the A crew may have the Ultimate Warrior or Hogan on it. And the B crew had the Road Warriors on it, so you had main events on right. both crews, and and the undercards were great too. So now you're selling out in City B and in City A. It was a win-win for the company and a win-win for the guys because they were making money. 
So, and, you know, you're, you're not together long with WWF because just a few months after he, uh, after you guys show up, he ends up getting into a uh, dispute with Vince McMahon and ends up leaving the company. It, it's money something you guys talk about, contracts. I mean, you said you weren't on the guaranteed contract. So what would, I guess, what would the dispute have been? Just what weekly well, paydays I'm would sure, have been? I'm house sure show paydays? probably on, you know, listen, Vince had his favorite guys who he liked to pay the good money to, right? And Warrior was definitely one of them. Uh, but he would pay the guy that was the premier star, but he would underpay the guy who helped build that premier star. Listen, you're in this business, you're only as good as the guy you're in the ring with, and a lot of times it's the guy that helps build that star is the one that should be given credit for making that guy the superstar that he becomes. Mm -hmm. He can't, because if you're beating a nobody, you're not going to be the superstar, but if you're beating another top superstar, you become a bigger superstar, right? So, and Rude would give Vince and have conversation. I mean, Rick told us this that he would have conversation after conversation. The pay is going to change, the pay is going to change, the pay is going to change, and it never did. You know, pretty much Joe Hawk and I experienced that ourselves with Vince. Yeah. And that would have been, uh, so yeah, you guys, I, I guess you guys would, would you, were you guys ever in the ring? together in that in that short wwf stint no no because rick was a heel and we were babyface and uh he was a singles guy at that time he wasn't really attacking i think i think he was getting ready to make the uh the wcw move here pretty soon yeah, and that's uh that's where he ended up he ended up going over to uh wcw over in 91 and that's when he joined you know you, God, you talk about being managed you know we were talking about paul Heyman. that's when he joined the dangerous alliance over there, and you know, we just mentioned his the Heenan family and the stable that he put together there. Here's the stable that he went into when he was in the Dangerous Alliance back in '91 over at WCW. It was him, Medusa, Arn Anderson, Bobby Eaton, Larry Zabisco, Stunning Steve Austin, all being managed by Paulie Dangerous. Yeah, see, another good which, stable guy. Which stable you put, which stable you going with? The Heenan family or Dangerous Alliance? Mm, both pretty good, man. They both became a lot of, a lot of Hall of Fame in each stable. Right. You know, you really can't go wrong. I don't think there's a wrong decision there to make. So you guys end up going back to uh, WCW in 95. But during this time, uh, that's uh, kind of when Rick Rude had retired. But had, the, uh, had some injuries come up and get him. And well, there, were, there was a legal uh, situation there, man. There was a legal situation there. I mean, to paint the picture for the fans, where, you know, they were wrestling in Japan one time, and the WCW had a, a platform that was built up around the side of the ring. Mm -hmm. And Sting went to give uh, Ravishing Rude like a cross body over the top rope. And when Rude caught him, he fell off the platform and hit his neck. And Rude actually broke his neck on the side of the ring like that. And uh, then WCW didn't really want to take care of him. Mm -hmm. And that's where it became a big issue when Rude ended up suing WCW. And then, you know, he eventually retired after that. Yeah, he also had his Lloyds of London insurance mm -hmm. policy, which I've, I've read a lot about, I've heard a lot about. And it seems like, you know, when, when you read into this Lloyds of London insurance policy, I believe you uh, had one. Kurt yeah, Henning, I, I turned Kurt all Henning the guys onto it. That, okay, so yeah. it, it seemed to be a very heavy Minnesota thing. A lot of you Minnesota guys had this Lloyd's of London insurance policy. Tell me, 
I, I guess, how you first came into this. Tell, explain well, to the folks listen, what that Lloyd's of London insurance <clears throat> policy is. Everybody always heard of Lloyd's of London. I mean, it's one of the most premier insurance companies in the world, right? Uh, very expensive policies. And where I heard of it is that my neighbor across street from where I lived, his brother-in-law actually ran an insurance company in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And uh, he approached us one time about getting Lloyd's of London. And uh, through my agent at the time, I, I went ahead and looked forward into it. And it was myself and uh, Hawk and uh, I think Rick Flair, who had the first ones. And then I told Nikita about it and Rick Rude. And next thing you know, and Ted DiBiase, next thing you know, there was like 10 guys had Lloyd's of London at the time. And so what exactly was it that you were signing in for? Well, under my contract, it was different than, I don't know how the other guys did theirs, but mine was that if I ever got injured, I would be able to supplement my income for three years on, but for the same amount as what I was making, okay? And if I was cleared by a doctor, I could go back to work. It didn't restrict you. Now, most disability policies, when you collect, you're done. You can go work, but you can't do that same profession you did. Ours was written and agreed to in a different manner than that. Did it have anything? Were, were there any loopholes with you being a tag team wrestler? Were, were there any loopholes? Because I believe, I think it was Henning that was able to come back and wrestle tag matches because well, of, uh, and not just, no, he could that wrestle was, one that on was one. Me. That was me. Well, okay. That was me. What happened with Henning was, the deal that happened with Henning is that he collected on his Lloyds of London and... Something happened with somebody got hurt, and Vince needed a main eventer right away. He knew Henning was, was working. Was it Savage? I think was it. I, I don't know, but I think it might have been where where Henning needed to stop and step into that top mm-hmm. spot, right? So, <clears throat> Kurt says that's fine, Vince, but you know I have a, a four hundred thousand dollar payoff here coming with my Lloyd's. I don't want to give that up if I'm not going to be used right. So, Vince ended up paying Henning in full. Paid off his Lloyd of London. And Paid it to Henning, but Henning still kept his Lloyd's London in place and then continued to wrestle. So Henning really never collected on the lump sum payment. Vince paid that off to him, paid him off, so he can come fulfill that main event spot. So you're okay, so you're you say that you can't it's it's fascinating to me because I, I've heard I, I've heard and read so much about this and just the detail that went into it and uh, the fact that, you know, an insurance company would actually provide, you know, a, a company would provide insurance for the line of work that you guys were in. I mean, that's, yeah, well, that's you know, no different than football or any other sport. I mean, you know, you're going to get hurt. You're going to get hurt. Right. You know what I mean? But the way the disability policies ran, you know, you, you can collect. Most guys would collect a little bit for two, three, six months and then go back to work. Then you're not infringing on the policy. But when you go agree to take that lump sum that's like saying, okay, I'm disabled, disabled, like risk, death type injury. And you're not able, you're, the only thing you're not allowed to do is wrestle, right? Yes, yes. But are you my, able to work but out? My are you agreement, able to? Oh, yeah, yeah. You can okay. work out. Yeah, you, you, you can rehab, and that's part okay. of your policy. And it uh, depends on your orthopedic surgeon who, you know, mine told me, listen, I can't tell you how to work out. You know how to work out. Rehab yourself. Be smart about what you're doing. Don't do anything stupid or, you know, spine bearing, which is going to injure yourself. So, we all trained ourselves pretty much. If you need to go to a specialist, you went to a specialist. 
So okay, so that and you know he had he had this as well. So when I guess what years were were you out then? What years were you collecting on yours? Oh well, back right after when Hawk went to Japan to tag up with Kensuke Sasaki. So uh, I forget what year that was. Probably ninety. Oh gosh, man, I want to say it was in the nineties sometime. You know. So that's um, some okay. I, I that's I when I knew that we were going into Rick Rude, I knew that we would at least get there at some point, and it's something that has fascinated me that you that all, so many of you guys. I mean, I don't know if it's. I, I, think I don't know if it's I finding a loophole. I collected on his. A, I think DiBiase collected on his. I think Hogan collected on his. A lot of guys collected on you know a certain depend. You know, everybody had a different amount because I mean. Just a five hundred thousand dollar policy was about twelve thousand five hundred dollars a year. Is that still around today? No, you can't get Lloyd's today if you're a wrestler. When did that stop? Uh, I think back probably in the nineties. Who uh, who do you think is responsible for it? All of you collectively, or is is there one guy that they kind of looked at it and said? I think they looked at it and saw that there was a loophole Mm -hmm. problem, and uh, it wasn't that guys were trying to fake anything, but. Our business is so dangerous. It's a lot more dangerous than a lot of other sports. Listen, hockey, you get hurt, but you're fully equipped. Football, you get hurt, but you got helmets, you're fully equipped. Right. right? Uh, also, back in the late 80s Wrestling, and 90s, you get hurt, man. Right. You're not protected by a thing flying through the air. I mean, it's, just, it's, a, it's more dangerous than people think. Even though you know what's going on, you still take the risk of injury every time you step in a ring. Yeah, and you guys were also idiots back then, taking chair shots without put, without any kind of protection, well, too, yeah, to the head. Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I got the proof of sleep apnea and all the things that go along with concussions to prove that. Right. So to to look at Just that, ask my and poor say, wife to keep her up. I don't have my machine on. <laughs> <laughs> or you hear nothing, she wonders if I'm dead. So during this time, I, I mean, is is he does uh, Rude go back? Is he back in Minnesota at this time? Does he move? Has uh, he moved on from there? You know, I don't know where. Georgia? I think Rude lived in Florida at the time. To be honest with you, um, he I know he went and visited his dad once in a while when the, and uh, you know he had the bar in Minnesota. But I think Rude lived in Florida uh, with with his family at the so time. You guys ever cross paths? And uh, you know, was man, there a long the, time? the old the. The more you get into the wrestling business, when you get over the 10, 12-year mark, it's not that you don't want to hang around with guys, but you lose touch, man, because everybody grows out of that, mm-hmm. you know, hey, I'm a young kid, I want to get hammered tight in atmosphere, and, you know, you you have families, and you really want to you, – you have your off time. You literally want to – I mean, when I had my off time, I wanted to put Road War Adam on the shelf and just be Joe Laurinaitis. Mm-hmm. I, I got tired of the animal thing because you, you couldn't go anywhere. You couldn't go to the restroom. You couldn't go out to eat. You couldn't do nothing while somebody recognized you. It's kind of like a double-edged sword. It's a kiss of death. You want to get the fame, but then you don't want the fame either at the same time, you know, like most actors go through today. Yeah. You're able to go out and, you know, go out to those nice dinners. Yeah, and you want to go out to those dinners, and you get treated with the be- red carpet treatment, and then all of a sudden when you get home, then you don't want it. Right. And then people think you're a jerk for not wanting it, but you know it's you, 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 it's it's a hard balance, man. A lot of guys can't handle it. So the last time you guys would have crossed paths would have been back in '97 uh, when you guys were uh, once again at the top of the WWF. You guys had your final tag team championship run in the WWF, and you began uh, and you had your feud with the New Age Outlaws uh, in 98. Mm-hmm. That's when he showed up in August of 97 as the insurance policy for the group known as Degeneration X. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's been 
four, three, four years since Rick Rude had done anything. And then, you know, he shows up uh, looking, you know, older, looking not as, you know, as, as ripped as the Rick Rude you guys knew in a suit, suit and tie, not even as a, as a wrestler back then in, in 97. Does he just show up one day? Uh, and Yeah, we, we didn't even know he was coming in. And then uh, he showed up one day on TV. And, you know, you got to understand, man, you know, Rick had broken his neck by that time, had a lot of injuries. Rick didn't have the biggest frame of a lot of guys in the wrestling business. He Was he muscular? Yes. But he didn't have the biggest bone structure. And uh, so he, he was a hurting pup. And because of the broken neck and, and, like, a lot of other guys in our business, and it's no secret, he was succumbed to – you know, the addictive personalities. I mean, you know, I, mean, I think it was Percocets at the time with a mixture of other things that, you know, you can't yo-yo your body, which I think this is an important lesson for young people learning today that are listening to the podcast. You cannot mix with drugs. There is no winner at the end of the day when you're taking the drugs. If you start mixing an upper with a downer and you you put your heart on that yo-yo string up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down. Pretty soon you're going to go down and you're not going to ever going to get up. He, uh, so he, he's in there and this is, you know, we've, I think we've touched briefly. I don't know how much, I, I can't remember how much detail we've gone in on the Montreal screw job so far on this, uh, on this podcast or what we've talked about with the, uh, with that, but that's a whole other show for itself. Oh God, I, I know it is, but it does see Rick Rude and Bret Hart had a very good relationship. And this is, you know, Rick Rude's brought in to be on Shawn Michaels' side of the feud. But when the Montreal Screwjob happens, Rick Rude is right there at the side of Bret Hart back in the, uh, in the back at Montreal where, where you were as well. Mm-hmm. And that apparently was what led to Rick Rude starting to, I guess, get in touch with Eric Bischoff and looking to move to well, WCW. Man, you you, you, you got to understand, if you're a main event single guy in the wrestling business, and the boss is going to go to that extent to screw a guy like Bret Hart. What do you think he's going to do to you if you ever get in that situation? Mm-hmm. It, it got to be at a point where you don't know who to trust, if you can trust anybody, and why would you trust anybody? And, and this is, you know, we've talked about this before. I think we've this has even been brought up before on one of our episodes. That that led to him. This is when you guys were taping Raws, uh, taping a few, uh, you know, two at a time or so. That's what led to him being on Raw the same night he was on Nitro, the the only person yeah. in history to, to ever do that, which for a guy like you that never really watched TV, um, it's, is that something that he I didn't even know that happened? I was going to say. you. I, That's I, awesome. Yeah. Good for <laughs> So he's on, he's on both USA and TNT on the uh, on the same actually, night actually i forget the one pay-per-view that was in florida when vince mcmahon came on and we were in the mm-hmm. middle of the show in florida rick steiner and i were on the show as vince mcmahon was saying you we don't need you we don't need you we don't need you animal you're okay steiner you're good and they were live from usa network and right. we were on another channel, so you can't really say no, that. that I, was on two, I was on two networks at one time, too, Joe. Now, come on. God. Let's get it right. Oh, my God. <laughs> but you're right. Mine Damn wasn't well, taped. It was live. So I'll, I'll give you the credit there. Mine was live. Yeah. His was taped. So uh, that would have been, you know, as you guys made your way through WWF in 98, he's training to make a comeback in WCW. 
and Rick Rude passes away in uh, 1999 on April 20th, coming up on the uh, 19-year anniversary of that, coming up in two months from now. Bro, uh, tell you, let me uh, tell you what a surreal thing that was. That was like one of the first of our friends that was close to that tight-knit group that was one of the guys we bounced together when he passed away, man. And we all went to his funeral in Robbinsdale. And there's just something about seeing his body put being put into the, the mausoleum there, you know, and you're just going, God, man, it's just talking about a surreal gut check. I mean, Henning's buried in the same building as Root is, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm just going, what, what drove him to not realizing what he was doing to his body. I mean, leaving his poor wife and then leaving the kids and everything else, man, you, you kind of leave everybody hanging. I, I can't imagine, I mean, I know the kind of pain I'm in 24-7 with a broken neck and the 14 surgeries that I had. I can't imagine what a guy, tribe a guy to be in that much pain that he's got to OD like that or be that careless, you know. You know, we've and we, we put up on a poll. We put the poll question up, asking the listeners who they wanted to hear about, uh, whether or not you profile Rick Rude or Kurt Henning for this week. And Rick Rude was who won the poll. And I, I you know, there will be a time that we are going to spend one, and I, depending on how long it goes, I mean, it'll be several hours. The episode that we do on Hawk, one of these days. So if we put those three out there as far as surprised, you know, when, when you got the call that they had passed away, Rick Rude, Kurt Henning, or Hawk, was there, is there one that stands out as you being more surprised than, than the other for that? I mean, you were with Hawk, I mean, uh, 24-7. You know, so H- H- Henning was a shocker, but even though I, I guess, you know, I, Throughout the years, I saw a hawk. We call it a term in the wrestling business, kick out. He would just kick out of every situation. Mm-hmm. He'd be all drunk, he'd kick out. He'd be on painkillers, kick out. He, you, you felt like nothing was, I mean, I seen him be up for five days in a row, kick out. Like he was indestructible. So when I got the call about hawk, it was like, what? Like, and you know, you see a million thoughts go through your mind, man, flashbacks. So what am I going to do now? That's my bread and brother. That's my tag team partner, man. That's my legitimate brother here in life. Now I don't have him in this business. You know, how am I going to support this? What am I going to do with my kids? How am I going to tell my kids? How am I going to tell, you know, whomever, whomever, you know, the, the guy died. And Henning was a total surprise because, you know, when I was talking to Henning's wife, Lanice, at the time it happened, you know, he had just called Lanice and said, hey, honey, I'm going to, the guy's come here to get me by to, to eat. I told them to go eat. I'm going to lay down here for about an hour. They're going to come back and get me. I'm going to go to work out. And takes a couple more somas, which is a muscle relaxer, goes to bed, never wakes up. Mm-hmm. And he told his wife on the phone, God, something my arm wrong, man. My left arm's asleep. I got these pins and needles in my arm. Well, didn't realize he was having a heart attack and didn't even know it. That's the thing in our wrestling business, man. You can have a heart attack, which I've had in the wrestling business. You don't know when you have one mm-hmm. because you're so muscular. You're so used to pain. You're so used to dulling out those senses that tell you you're having pain because you got a, you know, the show must go on attitude. You didn't realize that this was happening to you. Right. 
So, yeah. Well, how would you uh, then, how would you, I, I guess, where would you put uh, Rick Rude? How would you put a bow on his career? What would you, how would you describe the career of Ravishing Rick Rude? Well, I would say that even though as popular as Rick Rude was and he is today, probably one of the most uh, underappreciated main eventers in a wrestling business. I mean, just think how different his career would have been if if Eric Bischoff would have been good when that deal would sting when he broke his neck and they would have taken care of him all the way. Or Vince McMahon would have paid him what he was worth for making the Ultimate Warrior become the superstar that he was. Because for the Ultimate Warrior, who was a nothing to get in a ring with Ravishing Rick Rude, who was already had multiple titles and everything else, because you got to understand at that time, the Warrior and Sting were grabbing at straws to see what company they were going to go with, even if they were going to make it the wrestling business because the UWF got bought out by the NWA, right? Mm-hmm. And there was no more company. So WWF took the Warrior and NWA took Sting. and We took Sting under our belt and Rick Rude worked with the Warrior to make him be something. Imagine how different that life would have been for Rude if he just would have been treated fairly in a res- wrestling business by the boss and not shown favoritism like what happens. And, you know, Vince wants to show favoritism to this guy because this guy is kissing my rear end, and this guy's kissing my rear end, and that guy's kissing my rear end. And all those guys that were standing up kind of like the man's man, Vince just kind of had an issue with. Uh, and uh, Rick Rude was honored last year at WrestleMania as he was inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame uh, back on, uh, it, it was announced on March 6th, uh, 2017, and then inducted in there uh, as he was inducted or introduced by Ricky the Dragon Steamboat before his kids uh, were up there. And uh, if uh, I know a lot of people would remember Richard Jr., his uh, son that was up there was built like a, freaking brick house uh, oh, was, i didn't I, see it was he, he? oh god he was just yeah I don't, I don't know how he's not i mean maybe he is at the performance center now but if they're if triple h didn't have a conversation with him in the back about getting into the ring if he they, was even <laughs> anything to do with the right. wrestling business he may not at this time man because i don't think that the, they had helped out rude's family at, at all at any time listen you know i'm glad steamboat got to introduce rick rude but to me I mean, I would have had one of the guys that went through camp with them from the very beginning. You know, they, they wouldn't have me do it, of course. <laughs> but, like, Barry Darcel, you know, Smash of Demolition. You have a lot of guys who were great mm-hmm. main event stars and then Hall of Fame guys that could have introduced Rude. Yeah. You know, that were, that were close to him, that knew him from high school. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that'll do it on our episode of Ravishing Rick Rude, a uh, look back at a guy that you knew uh, for, well, 20 years of his, uh, yeah. of his life. A great, yeah. uh, a great superstar in the world wrestling entertainment business and uh, in the wrestling profession business in general and uh, is truly missed, man. The fans kind of got cheated on that. If you fans out there haven't seen any of Ravishing Rick Rude's matches, by all oh, means, yeah. man, Google them, man. Go look at them. Go to the WWE Network and some and, and look up some Rick Rude stuff. He was his rivalry. He, he was ahead yeah. of his time in that, as far as that aspect. The goes. rivalry with Jake Roberts, the mind games that went into that, involving Jake's wife in that, the trunks with the painted pictures on it, and everything that went in to that 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 feud that those two had is I mean, that's. 
spectacular wrestling, and you know, back in the late eighties yeah. is when that was done. Well, you and, know, that's what happens when you have two great minds in the mm-hmm. ring that they can let personal issues go aside and and just try to be true businessmen. Yeah, and you, you and Joe, you just hit the nail on the head with one of those things about those great matches. It wasn't what we call the one upper of today. Where one guy does a move and the other guy's got to do move to one up him, and then the next guy's got to do the move that one up him, and then one up him. The guys worked together to build a great show. Yeah, and uh, well, you'll see a, a great show and a lot of great uh, wrestlers this weekend in Waynesboro, Virginia. It's sold out, so there's no point in really promoting this unless you already have tickets. You can go there and see. Road Warrior Animal. The best thing about that, Joe, and that show in Waynesboro, you can come on out and take a picture with me, bring my book, bring my action figure, bring a poster, buy an 8x10, come out and put on my spiked shoulder pads for a photo because you don't know how long I'm going to have those pads. People keep asking me to sell them all the time. But you can put them on, you can be a Road Warrior for the day. Yeah, that's is it's going to be the night of the horsemen at AWE. You will be there along with uh, the four horsemen. Uh, Arn Anderson, Tully Blanchard, the Nature Boy uh, will uh, will be there. Lex Luger will uh, be there in attendance. Teddy Long will uh, will be there. So many big names. Rock and Roll um, Express. I hear your Magnum TA may even stop by. He's a Virginia boy. Yeah, uh, you'll also have uh, your your guy Nikita Koloff. Yeah, well, Nikita's uh, going to be there too, man. The, the Russian Nightmare. We saw him at uh, WrestleCade together. He was there for that. Yeah, he okay. was there. Yeah, yeah. He uh, came over. We talked a little bit. There you go. Barbarian will uh, will be there. Wonder if he'll paint up. You'll be you, pa- you'll be painted up. I'm always painted up, man. As long as the good paint or the it, uh, it, it'll be it'll be a very good show paint. It's not going to be a spot show paint job. You know, the, it's not going to be the WrestleCon paint. No, no, no. The WrestleCon always gets a good paint job. <laughs> <laughs> but but I'm in a building with 200 people. Sometimes they may get the. It's not the Earl Scheib deal. It's just like a three quarter paint job. So we will uh, we'll be back again next week as we uh, we get back on. I'm I'm not traveling again. The next trip I have is uh, is New Orleans. So I'm I'm here. I'm uh, so we're gonna be knocking these out each and every week, bringing you interviews, bringing you stories just like this. So follow us on social media to find out what next week's episode will be all about. At What A Rush Pod on Twitter, the uh, What A Rush Podcast with Road Warrior Animal Joe Laurinaitis on Facebook. You can listen to us uh, all over, uh, where however you're listening to us now. iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher. Go to the stlpodcast.com. So many different ways that you can listen to us, or shoot us an email. Send us some questions. Road Warrior Podcast at Gmail. And don't forget, go to ProWrestlingTees.com and get our What A Rush podcast t-shirts. I can't wait to uh, see some of those down in New Orleans and then uh, on, at Raw, too, um, here in late April when Raw comes to St. That's Louis. That's right. Raw's coming going, to St. Louis. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Uh, go to that and uh, see some t-shirts around there as well. So until next week, Joe, take it home. You have listened to another episode of the Oh, what a rush podcast.